Welcome to Happiness Habitat. I'm your host, Jacqueline Burnett. On this podcast, I'm going to help you optimize your opportunity zone and enhance your happiness habitat. On today's episode, you're going to get to hear from internationally renowned clinical psychologist and hypnotherapist, Dr. Carolyn Deitch. Dr. Carolyn Deitch is the director of Center for the Treatment of Anxiety Disorders in Farmington Hills, Michigan. A clinical psychologist, she's a certified and approved consultant and elected fellow of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, as well a fellow of the Michigan Psychological Association. A frequent invited speaker around the world, she is internationally recognized for her practical and easy to implement interventions. She has served several terms as Vice President of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, the American Psychological Association, Division 30, as well as serving as the President of the Michigan Society of Clinical Hypnosis. Dr. Deitch has written four books on anxiety and effect regulation, including the award-winning Effect Regulation Toolbox, Practical and Effective Hypnotic Interventions, the overreactive client, which has received international acclaim and was awarded Best Hypnosis Book by the Society of Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis in 2008. Other books include Anxiety Disorders, Go to Guide, Anxious in Love, and The Road to Calm Workbook. Her article on Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Mindfulness and Hypnosis as Treatment Methods for Generalized Anxiety Disorder was awarded Best Article in 2019 by the Society of Clinical Hypnosis. Dr. Carolyn Deitch and I discussed the depths of anxiety, stress, managing your emotions, and best practices to improve your overall mental state and flow. We also discussed what to do when interacting with a partner who goes through a peak state of stress or anxiety. On this show, you'll get to apply these practices in your own life to better obtain your overall well-being. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Happiness Habitat. I am joined by a very special guest today, Dr. Carolyn Dage. She's an international renowned hypnotherapist and clinical psychologist specializing in anxiety disorders, stress, and emotional management. Thank you for joining me today. It's my delight, Jacqueline. (laughs) So as I mentioned, you specialize in anxiety disorders, stress, and emotional management. And I think right now, more than ever, there is a lot of that going on. And I would love to start at the fundamental level. Can you just start out by explaining what is anxiety? Well, anxiety is kind of a combination of fear and stress. And about 20% of us are born that way. About 20% of babies have anxiety. And and so right from the get-go, they're temperamentally primed to be overreactive to our stressors. And these little babies tend to be anxious kids and anxious adolescents and anxious adults. Now, having said that, the rest of us who may or may not have anxiety by nature are becoming anxious during this pandemic. So it's worse for people who are vulnerable to it, but it's not easy for many of us who don't have that anxious temperament. So you're born with it or you can develop it. And I'm curious, 
if you're born with it, how do you go out through life? This is kind of a two-part question. How do you kind of go throughout life to be able to manage those emotions? I guess we can start there because more than likely people might have anxiety and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to manage that uh -huh. stress. Well, that's a good question, Jacqueline. First of all, one of the things that I teach is for people to catch it. I mean, we can walk around with our bodies feeling stressed and unless they're overwhelmingly stressed, like we're having a panic attack or pain in our gut, we may not even catch it. It's like walking around with a really mild temperature and you don't know you're sick, but you're a little bit sick. Um, and so I have people first try to scan their bodies, scan their minds, scan their feelings so that we can catch it before there's a tsunami. In other words, it's easy to manage a little bit of a flood, but if it's a tsunami, you know, we just have to roll with it till it's over. So that's a good question. We may or may not know. Again, people who with overwhelming panic disorder or severe OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder, um, they know it. But the more subtle kinds of things, you have to train yourself to kind of observe, not obsess, but just kind of observe. Right, because I've, I find myself observing myself all the time. I, I don't put myself in the category of having anxiety. I've never had a situation, I'm grateful I've never had a situation where I've been in an anxiety type of emotion or feeling because I've learned from a young age to observe. But even for somebody who is already in that state and knows they have anxiety and they might feel like they're having an anxiety attack. And there's like, how do you get that mind around observing? Because I've encountered people who have this issue where they, you know, they know they have anxiety, they know they have mild OCD and they're not really sure what to do about it. It just happens and they, they can't control it. Well, the first thing you do is label it. And you say, there's the worry. I'll give one for me. I have a lot on my plate right now. So I might say, there's the worry. I won't get it all done. And then imagine that I'm putting it five feet in front of me. So it's not like I'm worried. There, not the word. There's the worry. So we're not fused with it. There it is. Just like there is the lake or there is my mother or there it is. And just be with it. Paradoxically, we do want to be with it for a little bit. When I first started doing therapy, and even now, people would come in and say, Dr. Deitch, um, I want to get rid of my anxiety. <laughs> I said I want to get rid of it. And what I've learned over the years is that we don't get rid of it, we manage it. And the first step of managing is just noticing it and labeling it. And then what I like to do, the model that I teach, um, is that once you catch it, then you self-soothe um, because you can't listen to your own objective wise thoughts or your friend's wise thoughts or your therapist's wise thoughts until you're in a state of calm. So let's say you're not a worrier, but let's say you were worried about, I don't know, um, whether or not you're going to get sick on, with coronavirus on the plane back. I'm just making this up. I don't sure, know. Um, then, um, and your friends will say, you know, Jacqueline, it's a risk, but you'll wear a mask and you're young and you'll try not, you'll make sure you know there's no middle seat. But if you're in an anxious state, revved up, what we call a, um, a 
sympathetic nervous system where we're just really anxious, we, you won't hear me saying, Jacqueline, you'll probably be okay. You'll hear it maybe in a whisper. You'll be okay. And you'll be saying, no, I won't. <laughs> so until you chill down the part of our brain, we call it the amygdala, it's in our emotional brain, until we chill that down, we can't listen to our neocortex, which is reasonable. And so what I think makes my work a little bit unique, um, and it's different than standard cognitive behavioral therapy, which is very popular, is I really believe that we need to, first of all, be mindful and accepting of our feelings, and then move into calm. And that's where I use the hypnosis or any other calming techniques like breathing or, or you know, tensing and relaxing or yoga. We need to move into quiet. And it takes a few minutes. And then you can be rational. Then you can say, what is the likelihood that this is going to happen? Then you can say, you know, um, possibilities are not probabilities. You know, it is possible to get in a plane crash, but it's not probable. Wow. And what about for the other person involved in the engagement for a spouse, uh, son, daughter, niece, nephew, and in an action where the other person is actually having a panic attack, anxiety attack, acting very rational, and the other person can see, okay, clearly something's going on. What is the best way for the other person? To okay, operate? really great question. I wrote a whole book to answer this question. <laughs> yes. The third book was called Anxious in Love, and it's what it's like to be in a relationship with somebody who's anxious, or if you're anxious, to be in a relationship with somebody who's not anxious. And, um, and it, um, what people do naturally, you shouldn't do. What people do naturally is they try to talk somebody out of their panic. They say, you know, you have no reason to be panicked. Um, you're okay, you know. You're fine. If you get sick, we'll get you help. Or you're not alone, really. Um, don't start with reason. Because when you're in, and that's what everybody does. Everybody says, like, the example I give for fear of flying, which is really common, is to say, I can't believe, Jacqueline, you're afraid of flying. You know it's more dangerous to drive to the airport. You drive on the expressway in California every day. That's so much more dangerous than going to the the flying on a plane from LAX and, and you're a reasonable woman. Why would you be so scared? Never start that way. You, because again, your emotional brain, the anxious person who's panicking, their emotional brain is taking charge. So in the book, that book I call it Lost in Translation, you're communicating to a part of the brain that can't hear you. So what you do is you say, I know you're scared. And I understand, and it makes sense that you're scared. You're scared because you heard, you know somebody was in a plane crash, or you heard on TV somebody had a plane crash. And it's got to be really awful to be that scared. And then, usually the other person then calms down because they feel heard and not judged. And then you ask permission and you say, you know, are you open to hearing my perspective? And then you could say, you know, remember that um, 
Dr. Dage told you that when you're having a panic attack, you can just ride through it or you can move ahead in time when it's over. You can get a cold, I like this one, you can get a frozen, I like frozen oranges on your cheek, actually will abort, abort a panic attack. Um, remember Dr. Tage told you about that if they're in therapy. Um, or let's go for a walk. That's cool, it's yeah. an orange. Help. Yeah, it doesn't have to be orange, but it kind of fits your fit. Your, cool. It's very cool. Um, and um, so whatever it is, um, you start with empathizing, not reason. And that's, where, that's why I, I try to bring every spouse or sometimes um, daughter or son into a session at least once because the well-meaning family member We'll start always start with reason and indeed i'll be a, a little parenthetical here in detroit where i'm from many many anxious people are married to engineers you know we're in the car business a lot of engineers around and the the woman i'm being a little sexist but anxiety is more common in women three to one and um they'll be drawn to their engineer boyfriend because he can fix everything he's chilled he's reasonable but then when they get married and she's anxious, he'll, he'll, even the nicest guys will say, and again, I'm being sexist, it could be the reverse, um, that, you know, you really shouldn't be anxious. Everything's fine here. You know, you, you don't have lung cancer. You just have a cold. You know that. And, um, and then the woman who with anxiety feels misunderstood, belittled, judged. And then what happens is that they get angry at each other and then they, this is in that book, and then they retreat like it's hopeless. I can't reason with this woman. He doesn't understand me. He doesn't care about me. He thinks I'm an idiot. So that's why we start with empathy. And very few people know that because we're, we're, if we're not scared, we start with our own reason. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to jump back to you into that person who is, who is, you know, working on overcoming their anxiety or working through it. You know, you said it's in part to do with the stress as well. Yes. So in, in a daily life, you know, working nine to five, 24 hour, 24 hour job, whatever you're doing in life, how do you deal with that in the everyday, you know, occurrences that you have to keep you in a high peak performance? Because, you know, I think the higher levels that you can get in life, there's higher stress, you know, right. So how do you handle that and how do you manage that stress? Well, another very good, um, very good question. My, what I recommend people do, um, and this is in the last book, Road to Calm Workbook, um, is every day to start with what I call stress inoculation, every recording of it. And what that really means is every day for about 20 minutes, you move into calm. Now, I have an app for that and I have a recording, but it doesn't have to be mine. If you're a meditator, meditate for 20 minutes. If you're, um, you know, if you, um, you could do yoga and meditation for 20 minutes. You, there's countless apps now available. So for 20 minutes, just see if you can start the day with calm. Okay. Beautiful. What is your app called again? It's called the Road to Calm Companion App. That's amazing. Uh, and um, and and in the in that book there was an audio recording also that people who are techie can down. I mean, when I did it, people still can 
CD players, now they're getting to be antiquated, but you can download it, you know, to your iPhone. Um, and um, so um, the, and then throughout the day, take two minutes to simply do one of the techniques I t teach. It could be, um, again, there's, there's the time urgency. For me, it's often, there it is, there's the time urgency. Breathe through it, breathe for two minutes, that's all you need. And if you could do it five times a day, it would be terrific. Most, I get, I actually, to be honest, I get most of my clients to do the morning one, but they get, a, then they forget that during the day they're on go, go, go. And so then you link it in like a, for physicians, I'll say before every couple hours before you open the door to the next patient, do your two minutes. Or with you before you go on to your next project, Jacqueline, take two minutes. It's hard to remember because we get on one speed. I get on one speed and that's go. Flow, flow, go. <laughs> and um, so we have to remember to do that. And then during those two minutes, then we can do some self-hypnosis too. We can say like if I were doing two minutes for me, I've got a lot of projects right now. I'm complaining a lot, aren't I? Um, in those two minutes, I can say, there's the time emergency, but you know, you always get it done. And that's the truth. I always get it done. Okay. And, um, or, or in terms of presentations, I always do okay. Sometimes I do well, and sometimes I just do okay, but okay is good enough. So, so you're, worried, you're almost hypnotizing yourself. Yeah, right, right. And you can do that at the end of the 20 minutes in the morning, but just throughout the day, catching your fears. Um, I, I've been using a metaphor uh, recently. It's in the course. I love it. It's um, called, and it's not original to me. I don't know who developed it first, so I can't give exact credit it's a cognitive behavioral technique, but I combine it with hypnosis where you imagine a courtroom, okay? And you just kind of close your eyes and see the wood and the green carpeting and the judge with the robes and imagine there are two attorneys. And one is the defense attorney and the defense attorney is defending your fears. Yes, it really is dangerous to go on a plane. Look at people are dying of the coronavirus and blah, 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 blah. And maybe somebody isn't wearing a mask and it's unreasonable to fly for years till there's an effective vaccine. Then there's a prosecuting attorney who gives the other position that says, well, there is a risk, but the reality is that you're taking Delta and they're not selling middle seats. Um, the reality is you're wearing a mask and now they're mandating masks. The reality is when you, um, you're washing your hands and you're taking food on the plane and you're trying not to drink so you don't need to go to the bathroom. You're, holding, you're wiping off your seats and the, you're wiping everything off and they've wiped it off. So you may not, may not there is some risk, but not as risky as you say. So that's the prosecuting attorney. And then you close your eyes and you see the judge. And you imagine the judge wearing his or her black robe. And the judge represents the wisest part of you, the part of you that is, that is intelligent and calm and has had a lifetime of experiences. Maybe not the experience of, that we're in right now, but a lot of challenges. 
And from your own wise judge, why don't you make a verdict right now? And the verdict, um, what will you give as a verdict if you were a judge for that fear? What would you do, Jacqueline? What would you say as your own wise judge right now? I'm asking you. Oh, I, I would... I would probably say everything is going to be okay. Take proper precaution, you know, collect data and move forward with the right data and don't live in fear, you know, live right. in certainty right. of yourself and then everything is going to be okay if you right. take the right steps that you believe you'll be okay. Yeah. Or even if you're not okay, it'll be okay. Most of them, of course, some people, and this is a unique situation because some people will die, but most of the time will be okay. Yes. Like if this podcast didn't go well for you and me, it wouldn't be the end of the world. We'd be okay. You do other podcasts. I do other presentations. Most things would be so what? Exactly. Yeah. Everything uh, is a light love lesson or all three, whatever it might be. Absolutely love that. And you mentioned, you mentioned your course too, which is taming anxiety in uncertain times. So what is that? Cause you, you it's a four part course, right? Right. So talk to me a little bit about that course. How did you develop it? And what can somebody expect out of it? And, and can we have a little sneak peek for you? Okay, thanks for asking for it. Um, well, usually I teach to professionals. And this is, this is except in my therapy work. And, but I was thinking that, that everybody right now needs a little help in managing stress. Even the 80% of us who weren't born with that anxious temperament. You know, either we're, we're too alone or we're afraid a loved one will get sick or all sorts of things. So um, even people who didn't have OCD, I don't have OCD at all, but I'm really trying to be wash my hands a lot and, you know, <laughs> and be more careful than I would normally be. But if you already have, if you're already a warrior and you're already, or you have OCD or you have panic disorder, um, this era can be absolutely paralyzing. Absolutely. So I wanted to give something to everybody to manage stress, not only for these times, but hopefully they can use the tools the rest of their lives because there's always uncertainty, even not in a crisis. So it's four modules. The first module is on self-soothing. That's what I talked to you about. And in that module, I teach different breathing techniques, but I also teach people how to do self-hypnosis, mm. which is very powerful. It's not scary. It's a really natural state. It's, um, some people are intimidated by it, but it's, it's not where the therapist has control. You have control. It's actually the ultimate self-control because you're calming and telling yourself things. Okay. And people that are listening to you, because I think some people, they, they hear hypnosis and they think, you know, what you just said, like, I'm, I don't want somebody controlling me. It's like, I've done, I've gone through a couple hypnotherapy sessions um, with Dr. George Pratt and La Jolla. I live in California. And uh, that was for me to download like a superpower of self-discipline and focus. Right. And some people hear them, they're like, woo woo. They're like, that's not real. Like, I don't believe in that. Can you just explain lightly what that is because it's, it's tremendous. Well, first of all, all hypnosis is, is a focused state of attention, typically accompanied by relaxation, not always, but typically accompanied. And it's very, and, and in, that, in that mindset, you, you split off a little bit. You're, we always have a conscious and unconscious mind. So let's say you've been driving 
I don't know how old, how old you are, but like since you were 16, so you've been driving for 10 years or whatever. So most of the time, you don't have to be vigilant. You can be thinking, okay, what am I going to get for dinner? What do I have? Who do I have to email back? And your unconscious mind that's been driving for a long time is the automatic pilot, okay? However, if a truck pulls in front of you, or there's a barricade, or you need to get off your exit, your conscious mind will jump into gear and say, pay attention, okay? And hypnosis is like that. I'll give you a cute little anecdote, a very easy way to deepen people in hypnosis is go down a stairway, okay? It's real simple. Anybody can do it. Um, uh, any brand new person teaching hypnosis, learning, teaching hypnosis can do a stairway. It doesn't require a lot of thought, um, but it's effective to get people relaxing. And I started taking this woman down a stairway and she, I'd already had her breathing and she was relaxed. And then she put her hand up and she said, I've got bad knees. Can we take the elevator? So she had an observing self that was in charge. And I always say to people, you're the editor of this experience. That's amazing. So change my words to any um, words. It's not a voodoo thing. It's just the state we're in. If you're ever talking to a friend and time goes by quickly because you're so absorbed, it's just a state of absorption. And, um, and in that state, your imagination is more accessible. And, um, and in that state, if you're a good subject, and not everybody is, um, then you can, the suggestions that I give you or you give yourself are embedded more deeply. But nobody's going to take a suggestion. That's a myth that I give somebody if it's um, not, not something they want. Like if they really don't want to quit smoking, but their family wants them to do, they won't do it unless it feels right to them or lose weight or whatever you think is the common thing. So, um, but what hypnosis does do, it helps you be more flexible and access your own overlooked resources. We all have resources. You've referred to yours, you've been working on yours, kind of an attitude of resilience and optimism. You've also had external resources, people you've met along the way. So you can access your overlooked resources. And you also, again, are more flexible. So you might, the worry stuff make, is from a rigid place. People with anxiety are rigid. But when you're in that hypnosis place, you can go, oh yeah, that's not an inevitability. Oh yeah, I can see it differently. So I, I, it's just, people need to be educated about what it is and what it isn't, but it's not mind control and it's not voodoo. It's natural. And so when you're, when you're talking about the, the staircase example as well, cause I want people to be able to, you know, apply this at home, maybe even listening to this, it's like, can you walk through what that, what that could look like? And if, what the next step could be, and I want to continue and learn more about this course as well, because yeah, I teach some of it. Again, it's not a full course in hypnosis, but it's it's about an hour to um, or teach you self-soothing. Again, some are breathing techniques. Um, but it might be, I wouldn't start with the staircase. I start with an eye roll, which I explain in the course. It's a quick way of going into hypnosis. Um, and then breathing and maybe relaxing the muscles. You may have had that experience. 
Um, and then the stairway might be to stand at the top of a beautiful staircase covered by nice colored or patterned plush carpeting. And you feel yourself at the top. You might move your foot over and there's marble on the side and you feel the contrast. And then I simply say, and I'm going to count you down, not quite yet, soon. And with every step, you'll go deeper. Really simple. But then once you're there, into the hypnotic state. Then I might do something like fast forwarding into the future, like moving into the future when this crisis has passed, when there's a vaccine, when the kids are back to school, when the economy is where it will be optimally, when you're not so scared of getting sick. So why don't you fast forward now? I'm not sure when that'll be, but I do know it will be. And you can go into the future and right now feel that feeling of satisfaction. Oh, it's gone. I lived through this. My family lived through it. Um, but I learned from it. I learned from it. And and feel that relief now, as if it's happening now. And that would be a kind of hypnotic imagery that you could give yourself, or you could even see your, um, any family members you're worried about, you could see them being better in the future, being less anxious or being healthy in the future. Um, so that would be one of, I've got, I must have 40 different techniques, where you are more where you can use hypnosis for I just help somebody like improve their golf game. I mean, that's not I'm not, I'm not a golfer, but he, yeah, he, but they he visualize. Yeah, I had him pretend he was this famous golfer and that in itself. Um, he said he never played better in his life. So if you're a good candidate, it's really or for test anxiety or public speaking or anything. But some people are not um, it's a bell curve. Some people are really high hypnotizables. Anxious people tend to be really high hypnotizables. Oh. Do you know why? Why? Because somebody's anxious say, Dr. Ditch, you'll never hypnotize me. I'm too nervous. I'll say, well, I'll pretend you're my patient. Okay. Well, Jacqueline, do you have, I bet you have a good imagination. I bet you can imagine everything that can go wrong. Isn't that true? And they'll say, yeah. And I bet you can get really narrow attention. And you need to have a really good narrow attention, be able to focus, to be good hypnotizable. And people with anxiety narrow it. Like all they're thinking about is getting on that plane. They can't, they have brain lock. They can't think about anything else. And so that is related to being good hypnotizable hypnosis person. And then people with anxiety are also really sensitive to their body sensations and they scan and obsess about them. Oh, I'm, and during this pandemic, people were all becoming hypochondriacal. Hi, 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 oh, I have a sore throat. Is that the beginning? Something? <laughs> but people with anxiety do that all the time. Oh my gosh, there's a, st a stomach ache. Do I have colon cancer? You know, and, and, um, I'm not making fun of them. Some people do get colon cancer, but most people don't, particularly people your age. And so, um, but people who are sensitive to their body sensations are great hypnotizables. So I said, I'll say, Jacqueline, you have a great imagination. You can focus attention. 
you're sensitive to your body, you're going to probably be a great hypnotizable. If you're not, you'll be my first patient. This is true. Who's anxious? Who's not? Um, everybody with anxiety is. Wow. The only people who are not, I'm telling you more than I, you probably need to know, is it's not considered an anxiety disorder, but um, people with OCD, you've heard of obsessive compulsive disorder, if that's all they have and not generalized anxiety disorder, some of those are not as good. Mm. Uh, they, they have more, their brains are actually different, but that's more of a professional kind of nuanced thing. But people are surprised, at least by the second hypnotic session. They'll say, I don't remember when I've been this calm. And then it's not just calm, it's then they can listen to their wise self or they can listen to my wise self. That's beautiful. I loved the, the activity that you mentioned as well earlier is something that I'm currently writing in my book and it's something that I've, I've self-discovered, but it's great to know that it's backed by an internationally renowned psychologist and hypnotherapist like yourself, the activity where you start your day with meditation. I've also expanded that because meditation can also be whether uh, for, for me, at least a very meditative state is when I'm painting. Okay. You're right. Or whether that's singing or writing music, whatever that might be, but you've really dialed it in. And I think that's, that's absolutely spectacular. And I want to touch on too the, the mindfulness of going throughout the day of, of managing your emotions, because I know you specialize in this as well. And I, for, to be able to stay in that flow state, it, for me at least, and I would love to discuss this with you, is when I'm in flow, I feel on center. It's like when you start that action of the day, when you are on center, you can go throughout your day knowing when you're off balance. Right. You can go back to that center. And that has helped me remain in flow. But how do you, because I don't think it, it's that easy for just everyone to go back there. Oh, it's not. Yeah. First, of, it, first of all, it's, it, I was telling patients this morning, it's a lifelong process. I mean, it's one thing if you're a Buddhist monk living in, a, in some kind of <laughs> ashram, and even they, I'm sure, get off balance. I'm sure they do. But they have so much support for being in mindfulness. Okay. For somebody like myself, it's, a, it's an ongoing struggle. But way way we can do it, um, and I'm sure you're aware of some of these things, like first of all, just catching your breathing, just being with your breathing. Mindful walking, like being really not power walking, but noticing the trees, noticing the sounds, noticing what your feet feel like on the floor. That can be... Um, mindfulness um, exercise and then it's kind of also just even a simple one that I gave my client this morning I said I'll do this with you I don't know if it'll mess up the zoom Um, stand up okay and just say to yourself I'm standing standing. Uh, just quietly just be aware of standing and notice your breathing as you stand And then sit down and just think. You don't even have to say it. I'm sitting. So all day long, we're standing and sitting. Just commenting on it moves you into mindfulness. Wow. Or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm tasting that ice cream. Um, and it's really sweet. 
if you get into mindful, well, it's probably not for you because you are so nice and thin, but for most of us, you know, we'll eat a whole bowl of ice cream and we don't even taste it. We taste a couple spoons, but then we automatically just eat it. And, but if we're in mindfulness and taste how sweet and cold it is, we may not need to eat the whole bowl. And so it's all day long with, we have opportunities. And again, if we're stressed, we can say um, just, for me, one of the huge annoyances of life is being on hold on the phone and they'll say, um, we appreciate your patience. And I get so mad, I am not patient at all. I'm thinking, what do you mean I'm patient? <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that can be a time for you to go, oh, there's the annoyance of being put on hold. And what can I do while I'm put on hold? I can simply breathe. And I, I find those moments too as an opportunity to challenge yourself to go into a state of calm. Exactly. Because as you mentioned earlier, which I would love to touch on, I mean, this is the Happiness Habitat show. And before this call, we, we had a call earlier and you said, we're not really born happy. And I, my mind was, I'm still trying to put my mind around that because, you know, I, we're talking about mindset here as well. And for me, it's like, for me to be, for at least my, my creature, my soul, when I'm in my most flow, I've taught myself or I've instilled the values of myself. Okay. I need to be on center. And when I'm on center, I'm in a calm, like state, I'm neutral. I'm not crazy happy, but I'm, I'm happy. But you mentioned we're not born happy, right? I, I didn't exactly say that. I, I, let me, let me clarify. Yes. I think we are born little babies like this yoga pose, happy baby or whatever. Um, we are born giggling and happy and precious. That is true. And we also have through our evolution, a negative bias. So that's, if you think, that's what I'm talking about. So if you can think about, you know, um, thousands of years ago, um, the people who lived in dangerous times where a, a wild boar could eat you or a lion or a berry could be poison or a mushroom could be poison. You have, you, we had to be biased toward um, fear to survive because someone who just nonchalantly said ate the berries without knowing that they were poison would be really problematic. So in order to protect ourselves, we have a negative bias. There's an expression that um, I'm forgetting the neuroscientist who said it. I, I, I said it in one of my books. So I gave him credit. Um, it's better to mistake a stick for a snake than a snake for a stick. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, brilliant words that I didn't make up is that, um, that what if we just thought, oh, that's a stick and it was a rattlesnake. Um, so it's better to have a false positive. Right. And, and so that's where I say we have a negative bias. I mean, indeed, some people are more cheerful by nature. They're lucky. And some people are just more negative by nature. But we, um, if, but to worry to some degree is protective. Um, and in fact, I'm often a little bit, I admire my 
patients who worry more than I do That's because awesome. they'll think about um, they'll think about constantly. My son worries. I have a son, you know, a little bit, who um, is a lawyer, and he worries about every manhole that you could fall into, and a little bit much. But he's a great lawyer because he thinks about what could go wrong. Yeah. Whereas most of my life, I'm going la di da, nothing's going to go wrong, and then I'm in the manhole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's it's good to have a certain level of risk aversiveness. Do you, you know, fuels us. I'm sorry? You think that a little bit of worry can help fuel someone to get maybe more done, be more productive? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, when I'm doing a presentation, not this one, I wasn't worried, but if I'm doing a presentation to a real big group, I worry if I don't worry. Mm. And I don't do as good a job. If I have just enough worry, then I prepare. Or my books, my first book, I was terrified that people would not like it and um and so it made me work really 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 hard on it and actually it won best book on hypnosis by the side of clinical experimental hypnosis I'll, I'll brag on that but i couldn't believe that it won that award because i just hoped that no that people wouldn't my peers wouldn't trash it wow. and if i hadn't been worried though i wouldn't have worked so hard so it's so, almost like to be in a flow state, to be in your optimized state throughout the day. It's like that perfect combination of a little bit of worry, being mindful of yourself, observing yourself, and knowing your center. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, being the, being a human being <laughs> is hard because we want to sort of be in the middle, not over here, never, never, not so loosey goosey that we don't do good work or good parents or whatever. And we don't want to be over here where we're so worried that we don't get anything done because it has to be perfect. And what it sounds like you're so good at is being in the middle. You really I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> Hard work. It's not easy, but it's not easy. It requires, and it's not natural. So we do have to work on it. Right. I think it's, you know, the first step, at least from experience for myself, is just the understanding of it, mm -hmm. going through experiences, because sometimes without experiences, I mean, there's a couple ways you can learn. Either you learn through your own experiences, you learn through others' experiences, or experiences that others have told you about, right? So, right. So, yeah, I would say it's that, that's for me, like, like that sweet combination. And I'm curious to know, too. Do you, what do you, what are your views on, you know, happiness? Like, I want to know what happiness means to you and wh where do you think happiness plays a part in our life and our everyday life as a productive and, you know, optimized human? Well, I'm going to flip the question around and say, how do you treat depression? Uh, if that's okay. Totally. When people are depressed, um, there's things that, they can do to get them happier and out of depression. And they don't want to do them because when you're in a depressed state, you kind of are in a why bother state, like nothing's going to help. First thing they have to do, I shouldn't say first, but it's pretty high up there, is to move. Walk, move. And they'll say, I just don't want to get out of bed. Move, just down the street, move. Because when we are, because exercise 
is actually there's been research that exercise is almost as effective as antidepressants for depression and anxiety. Uh, antidepressants just a smidgen more effective, but not much, not much at all. Simply exercise. Um, and I like people to exercise daily, not three times a week, daily, even if it's just for 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Next thing, when we're depressed, we withdraw. And we don't want to talk to people. So I push people to call people or text people. And people are texting, you know, I'm biased. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm so much older than you and I'm not in a world where everything is texting. And I mean, what happened to a voice on the other end of the phone? Hey, I love FaceTiming. This is my favorite yeah. Digital interaction. Yeah. yeah. And Zooming and because we need to connect to other people. We are not meant to be islands. We are not. And then we need to accomplish things. So I tell people, just clean out one drawer. Throw away the old food in the refrigerator return those emails. So it's movement and connection and accomplishment to get you out of depression. Now, then people can start on the road to happiness. It's not a switch if you're depressed. Right. But they, if they do those things, they feel better. And then what I do with people has to do with their orientation and time. If you're anxious, you have a distorted sense of time. You live in the future and what can go wrong in the future. If you're depressed, you think about everything that went wrong in the past. I should have, I shouldn't have broken up with that guy. I should have, you know, gotten a master's degree and not stopped there. Um, um, I should have moved to San Francisco instead of La Jolla, whatever it is. Um, or, um, or regrets or all those things we live in the past. So with people who are sad, I have them go into the future when they're feeling better. And I'll talk about how all feelings are transient. And so go into the time, like I said, with the pandemic, go into the future. And I'll do it with people with anxiety to go into a positive future, not a scary future. So that's one of the hypnotic techniques that I've made up. I don't know. Whenever I say makeup, other people um, make up similar things, you know, but these are things that I, I thought I thought of myself, but I'm, I'm sure if I had, oh, if I had, I'm sorry, if I had an idea, somebody somewhere in, um, in New York or La Jolla thought of it too. So I'm always kind of humbled when I say that, um, or try to be humble. Um, and, um, so excuse the two different phones ringing. <laughs> All good. I know you are one of the most productive, accomplished humans I know. So this is such an honor and such a treat. Well, I'm a hard worker. Such a but hard even worker. that needs to be balanced. I, I have to work on being less driven. There's so much to, you know, I tell people um, that, you know, you might like, you might like 28 out of the 31 flavors of ice cream, but you don't need to eat them all. And some days you don't even feel like eating ice cream at all. And, you know, there's so many, like you're a really creative person and there's so many interesting opportunities if you're creative, but you also have to balance and have time to take care of yourself and be with your family and 
watch a Netflix film and and not always be driven. And then I know so many my, my patients who are the opposite of me. I mean, they can't. I'm. They they don't get much done at all. They don't think they can have enough therapy equipment on the day that they go to the dentist. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> what? But I try not to judge them, but they're in a depressive mode and everything seems like an effort to them. So basically when you're, when you are in a depressed mode, like you were saying, you know, you're looking back and like regretting or whatever that might be. One activity of the day might be the whole entire day. Exactly. Where- when you're in an anxiety state of mind, you tend to be looking into the future and you might have a million things on your plate. And how do you find that perfect balance? You keep working on it every day. I mean, and again, not all, a lot of people with anxiety are not productive because they're, they, get, they get paralyzed. Mm, got it, okay. A student who's really anxious about their, their college essay will find they can't write a word. Or, um, oh, yes. or somebody who um, wants a job gets so anxious they, they cancel the interview because they're afraid. So anxiety isn't necessarily correlated with, with productivity. Productivity, yeah. It, um, it, I, I probably am a little confusing because I wanted to have enough worry to do a good job. But if you're in, if I were really, really anxious, I wouldn't be with you right now. I'd be too worried that I didn't, wouldn't look good or I wouldn't sound good or whatever it is. Yeah. So, um, so you have to be, and how do you do that? You keep reining back. You keep moving back into balance. Am I try, like for myself, am I trying to do too much today? Yeah. Rain it back. This afternoon, I'm going to go swimming and not do any productivity. For somebody who, who's um, avoiding doing their um, college essays or their, you know, their housework, or they need to push themselves. So we're always trying to even, even the, the balance scale. And maybe some of us are just naturally balanced, but most people aren't. Right. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I definitely have seen, as I've observed myself, the older I get, the more aware I get of myself, the more spiritual I become. And, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of where I am now because I'm in my, my, you know, home that I grew up in. And it's like, I can remember when I was 16 or 15 and I would get so upset with my mother of doing, you know, whether she was feeling the fire and then I feel the back. And since being here, I'm like, wow, I have noticed a tremendous growth of mine just through being aware, observant of myself and making sure I'm putting the best into myself every single day. And it's not easy. It's not easy. It requires a lot of work. And um, I wish I had been like you at your age. Well, I because I have you, I learned from you. <laughs> I've been able to learn from you from a young age. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for technology to be able to showcase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, but, and so I, I would love to kind of, you know, you've, you've provided so much value here. And I, I know for everyone that's listening and watching, please be sure to check out Dr. Carolyn Deitch and all of the amazing work that you've, you've produced. And I kind of want to end it too with this happiness habitat. I know we, we, we touched on a little bit of, of depression and I asked about happiness, but I'm really curious, how do you define happiness? Uh, how do I define happiness? 
Well, again, a lot of it's being in the now and noticing the good moments. We notice the bad ones and we analyze, like, why are we worried? But we tend not to give a lot of attention to the good ones. Like right in this moment, I'm feeling okay. Right in this moment, I'm engaging with Jacqueline. And isn't this wonderful, this moment. So that, that's part of happiness. Um, happiness, again, is appreciating other human beings. Happiness also requires being kind to ourselves, being compassionate to ourselves when we're weaker, which we all are, being compassionate and forgiving to others, knowing that very few people intend to hurt us. It, if, if they do trigger us, um, it's because of their own wounding somewhere along the line. And so trying not to be too judgmental, I think that helps with happiness. Move, dance, and find people you can laugh with. Belly laughs. Another hypnotic technique is to go to your laughing place. It's something one of my colleagues who just died this week had a whole hypnotic protocol on find your laughing place. Dabney Ewing. So um, remembering, I go back to in college, you know, when you sat with your roommates and laughed so much. So, um, and laugh now. Laugh with people. I was just on the phone with my son who has a great sense of humor and I made him laugh. And he said, you know, that was really funny. He gave me credit sometimes. <laughs> and um, and um, so those are all things. Be in nature where, you, where you're visiting and where you live, as such beautiful spots in the country. Be mindful of nature and be grateful. Be grateful. If you're thinking about what you're grateful for, it's nearly impossible to be worried or depressed at the same time. So move into that. So those are just, I'm sure there's tons of others that you come up with, but those are the ones that, um, that occur to me just in this moment. So I hope that's helpful. I want to mention my website. Can you, can we yeah. mention it? Yeah. So I, I would love, I would love, you know, for everyone that's listening, watching, where can everyone learn more about you? Um, I think it's carolindhphd.com. And um, that is my website. And or if you Google Carolyn Deitch, spelled the same as yours, um, on, on a lot of Google-ish things, um, but carolyndeitchphd.com. And then you'll see, you know, my audio recordings have a lot of MP3s for people and to calm anxiety or help with weight or help with insomnia um, and the courses that I teach. And nice. um, so, that, so you can... Find out about me. Carolyn. And you also have your your course, your four part course, which is the yeah. anxiety in uncertain times. You guys, please check out Dr. Carolyn Dage. It has been such a pleasure, and I'm so grateful to have had this conversation with you. Thank you so much. It's a delight. I've learned from you. There's a link. I don't know if you can tell them the link. Yeah. On the share it here. Um, did I send it to you? I thought I did. Yes, you did. I will be sure to share that. Okay, got it. I don't have it memorized. Okay, well, you are a delight, and I'm so um, glad we could connect professionally as well as personally. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you. Thanks for joining me on another episode from Happiness Habitat. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share with a friend so they too can learn from the lessons on today's show. I look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.